0: Hello and welcome back to Celluloid Jelly, a podcast featuring a couple of ex-video store guys who just love talking about movies. I'm CJ Talbot, and joining me as always is my co-host, Cesar Alejandro Jr. from Filmsmash.com. For this episode, we're going back 25 years to 1993 to talk about Steven Spielberg's Jurassic Park. I'm starting all over again. <laughs> take Two, we're back. Hey Cesar, how's everything going? Alright, man. How are you? I I just want to explain, I guess, the why I'm laughing, uh, and, and because uh we we already recorded this part of the show and uh and my dog started to get um you know a little bit playful and was making too much of a ruckus. And was being generally just distracting. So it took me a little while to get her out of the room. Um, so anyway, how's everything going, Cesar? Uh, not bad. Not bad. Good. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> we, we were we were talking about um, that we hadn't been able to watch as many movies recently. Uh, and I think, you know, I made the comment that uh, we, we typically always watch a little bit more during the winter months because the days are shorter. Um, so there's less to do outside and things like that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um it's we had like a bit of a unseasonal cold snap too. It was like sixty degrees this morning, so
0: you guys have had some pretty crazy weather this spring actually in Maryland.
1: Yeah. Fluctuating.
0: So. Yeah. That's uh I this was a couple of weeks ago, but um yeah the flooding they had in Ellicott City, man, that was that was tough to watch. Um I'm sure it was tougher to live through, but it was very tough to watch even over the internet.
1: Sure, absolutely. Yeah. I think Paul uh, you No. Know, It's been pretty rainy in the last couple of weeks, too, though, so um, who knows what what state it's been right now. It's definitely kind of, like, left the regular news cycle, so you kind of have to do a little bit of research to see uh, the state of that area right now.
0: Yeah. Well, you're close enough to drive down there and take a look, but, uh,
1: yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I don't know. I don't know
0: if uh, they need gawkers. No, probably not. Probably not. Anyway, um, so, yeah, we're here to talk about Jurassic Park um jurassic park jurassic right. park which uh which was suggested by our uh uh always listener and and sometimes uh collaborator on the show chelsea dove uh she she hey, was well. instrumental in getting us to do uh this particular episode so hi chelsea hey chelsea what's up
1: instrumental do you hear that <gasps>
0: <laughs> well her her voice is melodic so it's you know uh-huh. <laughs> Silky smooth
1: As opposed to our kind of like
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how anybody can listen to me for an hour So for those people who actually do Like gold star man I appreciate it
1: <laughs> I listen to you for over an hour every ta- every time
0: Yeah but you're my friend <laughs> <laughs> so, Some of these people are just listening Because they actually want to listen Man troopers we love you guys we do we do uh but anyway like we're obviously we'll we'll talk a a little bit um you know I I've seen a couple of movies I'm sure Cesar's seen a couple of movies so we'll kind of give you our typical like spotlight on uh on the things that we've been watching over the past week um but this particular episode is going to um go live on the actual anniversary of Jurassic Park's opening Um, which is Monday, June 11th. And that'll be 25 years from the initial uh, release of the film, which is pretty cool.
1: Yeah. Um, Did you watch Jurassic Park in the theater?
0: I I sure did. Did you?
1: Yeah. I did,
0: yeah.
1: Okay. Honestly, I think I watched it twice in in the theater. I was, well, I guess it came out in 1993, so I would have been in third grade, I guess, at the time.
0: You know, I, I don't remember seeing it more than once in the theater. So it was you know, it was probably just one time, uh, which, is, which is odd for me, because I do, you know, the big blockbuster movies when I was a kid, I usually would see them multiple times, uh, but I do remember uh, buying the VHS tape when it came out, and, uh, and playing that quite a few times. So Yeah, same here. Yeah. I don't uh, even
1: remember what the VHS cassette tape looked like, though. I,
0: I, well, it was just I the really movie really... poster, just the Jurassic Park logo, mm. on a black case.
1: See that's what ran through my mind, but it doesn't doesn't stick out. I just you know I guess in this day and age I just remember like the original Universal Studios DVD cover, like yeah. kind of like that glossy dinosaur side on it.
0: Yeah. Well, coming from a video store background like we do, I'm sure I'm sure we both remember multiple versions of it. You know, uh, on DVD and Blu-ray, and the 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 VHS. They uh, they had a pan and scan version, and then they they ultimately came out with a letterboxed version as well. Good old Universal and their high price points. Hi, Universal.
1: Hey, what's up? If you guys want to sponsor us.
0: <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if they're listening, uh, but you know, hey, if they are, uh, really looking forward to Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Um That's good for you. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, you know, because I, I was uh I was very lukewarm on Jurassic World. Um and when the first trailer for Fallen Kingdom came out, like, I just was not that interested. It just did not look very good to me. But I'll tell you, the more recent trailer uh, that came out, I guess, like a month ago, I, I thought that looked pretty good, actually. Uh, so I'm interested to see what they do. You I don't know,
1: know if I've seen that trailer, then.
0: I, I typically like Chris Pratt. Um, You know, Bryce Dallas Howard, you can kind of take or leave. You know, I mean, she's been good at some stuff, of course. So ultimately, it's just you know about how well they execute it and construct a thrill ride blockbuster. Um, You know, I mean, it's tough to top the original. uh, You know, which is you know why we're here to talk about that. But uh, the original one is an incredibly well constructed piece of entertainment.
1: I think uh, for uh, for a certain generation, this movie inspired future, uh, paleontologists and, um, paleo anything botanists, <laughs> um, to, you know, kind of looking to see what it takes to get to that feel. Obviously the study of, um, extinct species is not as exciting as it is, uh, for the characters in this film.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully not. Yes well i think with with this movie, you know much like Indiana Jones did for archaeology you know when that when that original Raiders movie came out and then its sequels, you know that yeah of course yeah it inspired people to kind of get interested in in history and and the those type of sciences
1: yeah i mean I think uh this movie um definitely attempted to be more kind of grounded um in science, I mean, I guess you could thank the original book um, by Michael Crichton for that.
0: Yeah, have you read the book? I have not. No, I remember buying the book when it came out and sitting it on the shelf. And you know, I have, I have a, I don't read as much as I should. I do, I do read usually a couple of books a year, um, but I don't read as much as I should. And but I have never read the the book, and I've owned the book probably since the original movie came out. Wow! Yeah. So <laughs> did it
1: make the trip over? Uh, with you? Uh,
0: yeah, I think it's around here somewhere. <laughs> Who knows? I still have boxes. Plenty of boxes.
1: You know, um, that, that's definitely a trend, like, to buy a to buy a book and have it, like, just decorate the shelf. That's supposed to be it cracked. It's sad. It's like toys from Toy Story.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you know, like, I'll tell you, the maybe the most recent one that I was, like, really, like jazzed about buying and then I never did read it was the the Steve Larson girl with the dragon tattoo trilogy oh
1: yeah those are massive to read all of them
0: yeah but like when I got it I was like I, like I'm really gonna like tear through this and then it just <laughs> sat on the pile of to read stuff and just never got read yeah so. <laughs> sorry stick it took a backseat to some Travis McGee novels but you know that's for a different podcast
1: yeah I don't know what <laughs> you're, I know what I don't get the reference yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, Travis McGee was a uh, like sort of
1: a. I don't get the reference, and I won't respond to it. That's
0: fine. He's like a Private Eye character by a, a, an author John D. MacDonald. I think I have that right. Um, and the rights to the original book, "The Deep Blue Goodbye," have kind of circulated Hollywood over the last like decade or so. Uh, most recently, I think Leonardo DiCaprio's company had bought it for uh, as a vehicle for him to star as the character, which would be horrible casting, but um, uh, I have no idea what's up with it now.
1: Well, he's probably got like a huge backlog of stuff for him to to kind of work through.
0: Yeah, well, I like anybody, anybody else in Hollywood who's a giant star, they probably have, you know, a dozen or more projects in the works at any given time because you never know what's going to get greenlit and what's going to, you know, click, what kind of package they're going to be able to put together for something, so. Um, but anyway... Uh, before we uh, deep dive into Jurassic Park, uh, is there anything you want to recommend to the kids at home?
1: Uh, well, I just watched it. It's the most recent film I watched before recording. Um, I just watched it yesterday evening. Uh, it's, a, it's a Japanese film. Big surprise. Um,
0: <laughs> you? No.
1: Uh, I guess it's kind of like a, a horror film called I Am a Hero. Um, it's just from 2016. Um, it's directed by a guy named, uh, Shinsuke Sato. who's kind of known as a, a genre filmmaker. Um, I think you'd probably be most well known in, um, in the West for, um, having directed the original run of death, Note live action films. Okay. Um, so in Japan, there's a recent, um, um, handful of films that, that have come out within the last couple of years. These films are probably about 10 or 12 years old. Um, 20, uh, 2006 and 07, maybe. Um, and, you know, definitely not the American-made, um, Netflix, uh, film. Uh, but I Am A Hero is based on a Japanese manga series, um, about, uh, a, I guess like, a, a zombie apocalypse that occurs. Uh, the main character is a guy named, uh, uh Suzuki Hideo, played by an actor I'm a massive fan of, oizumi Um, and basically he, just, uh, he is a kind of, just your average guy, um, with, uh, um, kind of dreams and aspirations but things have kind of stagnated for him um, he's a, a manga artist uh, but he doesn't really getting traction in that field when all of a sudden the, the zombie uh, apocalypse occurs um, the thing that sets him apart um, from other people though is he's also a military uh, fanatic so he's uh, one of probably a handful of people who legally owns um, a rifle in Japan, guns are notoriously difficult um, to get there or at least be credited for so right, he really owns and carries um, a shotgun basically um, so he's definitely uh, in this new world probably a little bit more prepared to deal with this than than other people but overall the movie uh, I was pretty blown away by it I'd say it's got a good good um, bit of comedy and I'd say I probably haven't liked um, it's not exactly a comedy. Um, because there, there are definitely serious moments in it, but I'd say if I were to pick anything like in the West that I would compare it to, Shaun of the Dead would probably be the closest thing.
0: Okay. Wow. So,
1: they definitely not slapsticky, but I probably enjoyed it just as much though.
0: Well, that's definitely a high, high mark to get to, you know, cause Shaun of yeah. the Dead is, is up there as far as like horror comedies. Yeah. Um, Have you, uh, you've seen Train to Busan, right? Yes, a very drastically different movie. I, I assume I that that's another one of those movies that I bought and is just sitting on my to watch pile.
1: Actually, you know, tonally it might be a little bit closer to Train to Busan than um, than Shaun of the Dead. Because yeah, there tends to be uh, a kind of like heavy seriousness at the end, um, but that's typical of Korean like melodrama too. Um, I guess I wouldn't say that this film ever strives into like the uh, melodrama cat- uh, category, but it's. Uh, um, there's definitely moments of brevity that are pretty um I would not say hard uh like hard to deal with, but like they, they do pack an emotional gut punch too. Yeah. Plus it's got uh, my my uh one of my favorite actresses, Masami Nagasawa, who we you know, we talked about and her appearance and uh, um, our little sister. So she's kinda of the female lead. Um I guess there's maybe two. So they kind of share double duty.
0: Cool. Well, uh, g- give the folks at home the name one more time because I forgot uh, it already. Well, I am a hero. I am a um, hero. Th-
1: yeah, there I just go. watched it yesterday.
0: Is it available just- here in the U.S.? Or did it you is- get it through an import?
1: Uh, yeah, I did an import Blu-ray for it. Okay. Uh, but from what I understand, uh, the, f- the company Funimation will be releasing it domestically um, sometime this year.
0: Nice. Okay. Has Funimation been getting more and more into the like live action stuff? Because didn't they uh, didn't they release the live action Attack on Titan movies and stuff?
1: Yeah, that and Rony Kitchen. Um, okay. I think they have a deal with um, certain companies. They're they're releasing things that are like adapted from manga or, or anime. So I Am a Hero is based on a manga. There isn't an anime to my knowledge. But besides that, I guess they have. Um, I guess like a growing number of live-action films that they're uh, putting under their distribution. Um, hopefully, it gets more. I think, especially Japanese films, don't really get that many license releases.
0: Yeah. Well, you should do a print review and submit it. Maybe they'll maybe they'll put a quote on the box for
1: you. <laughs> nah, I mean that it's, it's a pretty well-known movie, I'd say. Uh, plus, I think it's coming out this this summer, so I'm sure like their their um, promotional campaign and uh, and design is probably already set.
0: We'll see. We'll see. All right, cool. Um, we'll have to check that out. So, um, you know, hey, br- bring it with you when you come to California. That's
1: a good. You know what? Maybe
0: I will. There you go. See.
1: <laughs> maybe that'll be. Um, maybe
0: that'll be my pick. For the okay. folks at home, I'm super excited because Cesar's coming to California. He's going to come and visit us. So, you know. I'm coming, honey. <laughs> uh, you have to. You have to figure out what you want to do you know so that we can start planning those days a little bit uh, uh anyway <laughs> that that's a that's a topic of discussion for you know for another another time yeah uh, for
1: like the day before <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, hopefully not although there's there's plenty to just kind of like spontaneously go and do you know we're
1: all right, well, how about you, CJ? Uh, you said you hadn't really watched that much, but I'm N- sure... Not a
0: know. whole lot, but, you know, uh, and I'm surprised this movie didn't come up when we were talking about October Sky. Maybe it did, I just don't remember. Uh, but the other night, I sat down and rewatched literally, I think, one of my favorite movies of all time, uh, Searching for Bobby Fischer, which is, uh, I think, kind of a little-known film um, about a young chess player uh, played by Max Pomerick, or Pomerantz, I think. It, um but it also starts Ben Kingsley and Lawrence Fishburne and Joe Mantegna and Joan Allen. Um, and it's, you know, it's th- this young boy. He's a chess prodigy. His father, um, you know, starts to, uh, you know, become a chess parent. They go around to different, you know, tournaments and things like that. He gets him uh, this, you know, fancy pants chess teacher played by Ben Kingsley. Um, and, and it's, you know, it's really about... Uh, the relationship between the boy and his father, and um, I don't know. It, you know, it's it, it's just uh, the chess scenes are great. You know, I love movies you know, like The Hustler, when you when you get to watch, you know, Paul Newman and Jackie Gleason, like, shooting pool and, and see, like, how incredibly talented and skilled they are at what they do, that it becomes more than just a game, it becomes kind of an art form. And I think you get the same kind of thing in Searching for Bobby Fischer, where they, they really kind of approach the game of chess as more than a game. Uh, you know, they talk about it being a game, they talk about it being a science, uh, but, you know, Ben Kingsley has this line where, like, that the character of Bobby Fischer, who is uh, a presence that looms over the film, but is not a, actually a character in the movie, uh, that Bobby Fischer kind of got underneath chess in a way nobody else did, and that it became an art form in his hands. Um, and it's just like it's just a beautiful story, and a lot like October Sky. You know where the Jake Gyllenhaal and Chris Cooper characters were sort of like the the main focal point. You know their relationship is is what carried through the film. I think the you know the Joe Montana character and his son in this movie is what really kind of does it for me. Um, and uh, I would I would recommend it to anybody who's interested in uh, you know in, in a nice family movie that isn't a kids film even though it's about a child uh, it's definitely not a kids movie uh, it deals with some pretty complex emotional stuff um, as far as like wanting to please parents uh, and at what point as a parent do you kind of back off and let your child go their own way um, and so uh, just you know I don't want to ramble on too long uh, just really terrific movie great performances uh, it was directed by Steven Zallian, um, who is a very famous Hollywood screenwriter um, and did a lot of high-profile projects, um, including working with Steven Spielberg, uh, which can segue us back into the Jurassic Park uh, conversation here. So, but if you liked October Sky um, and uh, you know enjoyed our conversation about that, definitely check out Searching for Bobby Fischer.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a movie I've never watched, but I, you know, you say it was a little below the radar, but, but I feel like, um, uh, I was always aware of it. I just never sat, sat with it.
0: Yeah. To be honest, uh, you know, it's funny, like, uh, again, I don't want to get off track too far, but, um, I did not see that movie in theaters. I had a relationship with some of the employees at the local blockbuster, uh, where I lived, in Bel Air as I was in high school and uh, occasionally they you know if they had some extra posters they would kind of say you know hey you can rummage through these and take whatever you want and uh, at one point they had like a really nice searching for Bobby Fisher poster and it was in great shape cuz usually their posters were a little bit beat up uh, I don't think they ever hung it in the store and so I took it and I would never seen the movie and I I blind bought it from Suncoast and uh, and I I really enjoyed it. I just you know I, I can't say enough good things about it. Um, so there you go. <laughs> I'll give you I'll give you a Jeff Goldblum like. Well, uh uh, 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 there it is. <laughs> is that a watermelon? <laughs> All right. Speaking of Jeff Goldblum. Yes. We're back. He's making. Uh. Apparently he's going to be in the the new film too. Yeah. He is, looking very gray and distinguished in the new trailer.
1: You're charming, as always.
0: He's an odd bird. Uh, I, I mean, like, Jeff Goldblum is one of those... I mean, he's a national treasure, because, like... Uh, he, he's he got that sort of, like... Never more about him. Super intellectual quality to him, but a very sort of, like, naturalistic quality as an actor. You know, like... Um, I think I, I watched a couple of the documentaries on the Jurassic Park Blu-ray, and in in one of them, Spielberg is talking about his cast and assembling these these people together, and uh, when they ask about Jeff Goldblum, he says, well, Goldblum is, is one of those rare actors that sounds like he's making up the words as he goes along. Uh, you know, it doesn't sound scripted ever, and I think that that holds true. Uh, but, you know, he's also become like this weird sex icon. Because of this movie, no, yeah, well, but also the fly, but okay. like, like the late eighties, early nineties, like you know, Goldblum had like a very like sort of like sex appeal quality that that was cultivated through some of the choices that he made, and you know, that shot in Jurassic Park, um, I, I think I read that like that was not even a thing that, but. All of a sudden, Jeff Goldblum was like, "I think I should undo my shirt," and and they were like, "Okay," and then it became like, you know, like it's a huge meme now.
1: <laughs> it's a, uh, I wouldn't say meme. I'd say it's part of the American
0: experience. <laughs> okay. All right. Cool. <laughs> so is is this? Uh, we talked a little bit about this at the start, but like you know, we both saw this in the theater. Uh, we both, you know, had owned copies of this on home video. Is this... Is this an important movie to you?
1: Important? Like, it,
0: like, like within your own, like, viewing taste and, uh, you know, I mean, obviously it was a huge hit when it came out and it's an important film for advancing the technology of special effects. But, like, do you feel like it's something... a, a movie that you hold dear? That's a
1: tough question. I mean, we. When you uh, you know I, I enjoyed the film quite a bit, um, but when you put it when you put it in terms like that, I don't know that it necessarily is you know defined. Like, it did not make our my twenty five list? Right, twenty um, fifth episode. You know, um, it's a movie. I think I'd be happy to watch it pretty much any given time. But yeah, I don't know if uh, it holds any particular special place for me. Yeah, I,
0: you? no same thing. Like, I, I feel like I don't want to downplay how how well made the movie is and how entertaining it is because it it is a good blockbuster movie, but like i don't you know i don't know if i if if I never saw Jurassic Park the rest of my life, I'm not sure that I would miss it
1: you know the movie is pretty memorable anyway, I think because it's got it's got pretty like um pretty exciting points like pretty easy to remember dialogue um as a film like i honestly like I watched yesterday, but I feel like I could probably do this podcast without having watched it at all.
0: Yeah. You know?
1: It's so fundamental. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. I guess. laughs> fundamental viewing.
0: Yeah, I just wanted to kinda get like get into that a little bit because like like I like this movie you've been and, over and since you watched it last week. What's that?
1: That's something you've been mulling over after you watched
0: it last week. <sighs> well I, I I gotta admit I re watched it twice because I rewatched it um last week and it, it just I don't know, it just wasn't doing much for me. You know, like, it, the the big high points in the film, you know, they were hitting, and, you know, I, I remember, and there's certainly exciting, tense moments in the film, but I don't know, like, I'm just not that invested in the characters. Like, I, the characters seem more like uh, types than really, like, fleshed-out, developed characters. I think, I think it works for this film, though. It, it does, but I, I guess... I guess I kind of look at Jurassic Park as like the, f- the f- maybe not the first, but maybe a prime example of that new Hollywood blockbuster template, like the idea of constructing a movie um, as a thrill ride, which is something Spielberg did 12 years earlier with Raiders of the Lost Ark. You know, Raiders of the Lost Ark is built to be a thrill ride. You know, it just moves from set piece to set piece to set piece. But there's something about Raiders for me and the characters in that film that just have a lot more energy, um, and I'm engaged with them more than I am with the characters in Jurassic Park for some reason. Does that make right. sense?
1: Yeah, it does. I mean, generally though, I think you know, Raiders is something tough to compare it to. It's-
0: you it know. It is, it is, and I, I kind of was, I was thinking, like, where would I put this in Spielberg's pantheon, you know, of, of great films, and, I you know, if if you look at Spielberg's overall filmography, I definitely would not have Jurassic Park in the top five. Uh, okay. may- I'd say,
1: you know, to be honest, I'd probably put it, like, in the middle somewhere.
0: Yeah, yeah well, like, like I think it would maybe be, be in the top ten. ten. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I
1: think, uh, there's there's a lot of other films that that I uh, yeah especially you know growing up with matured with um, having matured in taste I think that uh, I don't I look for different things in films now so
0: as he has himself uh, you know I mean Spielberg after Jurassic Park uh, the only movies he's made that have come close to like this kind of like adventure aesthetic is like The Adventures of Tintin. And uh, and maybe Ready Player One. Uh, everything else has been sort of like a more mature, and I don't I don't mind that. I'm not I'm not downplaying the you know he he makes a, a quality film almost every time out. Um, but you know like he's he's sort of gone past I think this type of movie in a way. Yeah, maybe. And I th- I think Ready Player One is a a good example of how like it's it's tough to go back and and do that. Once you haven't done it in a long time, maybe because <laughs> I was not a fan of Ready Player One. <laughs> I, re- I
1: recall. <laughs> um, well, let's get into the movie, though. I guess. Okay. Um, uh, that the, the meat of it. Um, what's What's Jurassic Park about, CJ?
0: Oh boy! Well, Jurassic Park is based on the novel by Michael Crichton. Uh, The film rights came to Spielberg and Universal uh, through a bidding war, Um, uh, and I'm pretty sure that they paid $1.5 million for the rights, and then another $500,000 to Michael Crichton to do a first draft based on his own novel, Uh, but Spielberg came to it because he was working with Crichton on a screenplay for, uh, for a movie that ended up becoming the pilot to E.R., Uh, which they both produced. And through conversations uh, about that, he uh, apparently offhandedly asked Michael Crichton what he was working on in the literary world, and Michael Crichton was like, you know, just something about genetically enhancing and recreating dinosaurs, and apparently Spielberg was on the phone like that day saying we need to get the rights to this book. Um, But the story involves um, a uh, a theme park um, that is being constructed... Um, with live-action dinosaurs uh, that have been genetically recreated using the blood of prehistoric beasts uh, from mosquitoes trapped in amber, uh, fossilized amber. Um, They have an accident at the park, and uh, one of the workers is killed. A lawsuit is slapped on the park, and in order to try and um, quell the investors, uh, they try to bring on some experts to sign off on the island. Uh, Dr. Alan Grant, uh, Dr. Ellie Sadler, and Dr. Ian Malcolm are brought to the island by... Um, uh, what's his name? John Hammond is the... Yes. The uh-huh. the the huckster, kindly old gentleman character who is the wealthy businessman who runs Jurassic Park. Um, and once they get there... Many of the things in the park do not work correctly, and some of the things go horribly wrong, and it becomes a very tense, uh, horror thriller adventure movie. Sounds good. <laughs> I, I really, that. honestly, like, I was not prepared to do that, so, like, <laughs> <laughs> That's how we run. <laughs> um, so, do you do you have uh, any favorite scenes or general thoughts that you want to talk about? Well,
1: uh, I guess right off the bat, I gotta I gotta say this. Um, uh, pretty much anything with Wayne Knight, I, I like. <laughs> both. Um, and for for our buddy AC, I don't know if he listens to our podcast, but um, the Dodson quote I think is uh, one of our favorite things um, to do when we're together. Right. If I just say Dotson, AC will do it like at the drop of a hat. That, <laughs>
0: also, yeah. Dotson. Dotson. We've got Dotson, we got here. Dotson here. Nobody so, cares. Nobody cares. <laughs> Wayne Knight is is pretty terrific. And and um I I think I read this. It was not on the Jurassic Park DVD, but I read that Spielberg watched Basic Instinct, and when the movie was over, he was like that guy needs to be in my next movie, and he was talking about Wayne Knight <laughs> Wayne Knight is one of the cops in the in the infamous interrogation, interrogation scene where Sharon stone like crosses her legs, yeah. and wayne Knight's oh, reaction.
1: Sweaty what he faced no on.
0: Yeah. His reaction is so great in that movie. And, uh, like, I hope that that's true. I, I don't know that it's true, but I, I read that somewhere and I hope that that's true. Spielberg's a big you know, basic. I, I just fan. gotta
1: say though, I think it's pretty funny that we started our <laughs> Jurassic Park discussion with a, a bit of a dialogue on wait night. <laughs>
0: hey, that's, <laughs> it can go anywhere. It can go anywhere.
1: Yeah. So like, I, I really love, he plays, uh, um, computer technician uh, named Dennis Nedry, who's kind of like responsible for the failing um, of
0: the, of the park. Um, right. Because he's disgruntled and is actually uh, conspiring with a, a competing company to steal samples and, and retrieve them and take them away. So he, espionage. yeah. Um, which is, which is a great subplot. And, and, Actually, that Dilophosaurus scene with him um, getting his comeuppance, I think, is one of the highlights of the film. Actually,
1: yeah, absolutely. Like I said, anything with Wayne Knight. I
0: that that scene in particular, like literally, it's playful, it's funny, but like it continues to build and become more uncomfortable and more tense as it as it gets to that point where the Dilophosaurus is like right up on him. And and then like you know it turns into a horror scene at the end. So like yeah. it, it's it's really well constructed. It's it is one of my favorite scenes in the movie.
1: Yeah, good stuff, man. Mm-hmm. I think uh, the way you describe it, um, I kind of look at that scene. I mean, because obviously it's you know nature like asserting itself over man. Um, that's that's pretty much the whole thing, uh, the whole feel of the film. But that right. scene in particular, um, like. I,
0: I always kind of equate it to, you know, maybe, like, you
1: staring down, like, a, a rattle, like a snake or something. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. how about you? Do you have uh, well, I uh, think a lot I, of scenes in this movie?
0: Yeah. Well, I think where I want to go from that specifically is, like, you, you talked about Wayne Knight. Like, the supporting cast in this film is really, really good. And you've got you've got actors who maybe weren't that big then, but are huge now, like Sam Jackson. Who, Samuel L. Samuel L. Jackson, uh, who is really great in his little role, and it's, you know, he's he's got that uh, "hold on to your butts" line. Hold on to your butts.
1: Hold on to your butts. Yeah. yeah <laughs> and, I guess uh, I was um, I was pretty disarmed by his performance.
0: Right, and then the very next year he was in Pulp Fiction, right, and then he exploded.
1: Yeah, I mean, he, before that, he was always a pretty, uh, you know, solidly working character actor, too. Oh,
0: absolutely. I mean, he'd worked with Spike Lee and a bunch of people, uh, you know, but it was, I mean, literally, like, Pulp Fiction made him an A-list celebrity. Mm-hmm. So, and Jurassic Park was probably instrumental in making that happen.
1: It's always a good thing if you can appear in, like, a blockbuster Spielberg film in order to get your, uh, your face out there a bit. Definitely. So, I mean, were there any... um were there any kind of Spielberg regulars in this movie?
0: Not really. You know, I I I read that he uh, originally offered the Alan Grant role to um, uh, Harrison Ford and a couple other people, uh, but they had turned it down. Uh, and then in one of the behind the scenes documentaries he's quoted as saying that he he wanted to not to cast lesser known character actors um because you know he he didn't want the you know the baggage that came along with with putting a, you know a big star in the role uh, and he went on to talk about like you know Sam Neill and Laura Dern and and their you know like Sam Neill I think is an interesting case because before Jurassic Park I the the most high profile roles that I can think of with him in them, he's the bad guy, and I and I think he he does bring a bit of like harder edgeness to the Alan Grant character, um, which is great because by the end of the film, you know, it's much more satisfying that he's able to soften up to the kids and and kind of become, uh, you know, the type of man that Ellie is looking for out of him.
1: Okay. Romantic.
0: <laughs> yeah, well.
1: I'm trying to think. I don't know if I've seen, if I saw Sam Neill in anything before um, Jurassic Park. Probably not, since I was in third grade.
0: Well, but he, he was in, like, Possession, which is fucked up. That movie's awesome, though. Um, and he was in one of the Omen movies, the third one, right? Where he's, like, a grown-up Damien.
1: I, you know, I don't think I've ever watched uh, three or four.
0: And And then Dead Calm, right?
1: Yeah, I definitely haven't seen that. With um, a ship film, though, right?
0: Yeah. Yep. Oh, I have seen that. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I mean, so he he was definitely not known for being like the you know the heroic type of character, and I you know I I like that they're kind of like uh, casting against type there.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, well, like Laura Dern's, you could say she's she's the female lead of this film. Um, she, you
0: know, she's great,
1: making a return from our. October Sky podcast.
0: <laughs> and from our Last Jedi podcast.
1: Yes. Oh, yeah. This turning into Laura Dern.
0: Like, Celluloid <laughs> Jelly loves Laura Dern. No.
1: Boy,
0: do I. <laughs> <laughs> Laura Dern's great. Um, and, uh, you know, it's funny. Like, as I was watching this the other night, um, the current landscape of fan culture that we live in. Uh, I I remember specifically with Last Jedi that there being a lot of, like, a lot of people being down on Star Wars for being so, like, blatantly, like, feminist, you know, or having too many female characters and things like that. And I wonder if Jurassic Park came out today if people would be yelling their head off about, like, Ellie Sattler's feminism.
1: Well, the people who say that stuff are stupid.
0: Yeah, no, I agree 100% but you know like the like and i i love that about the character like th- that scene where um jeff goldblum's kind of like going through like man creates dinosaur you know and then she kind of picks it up and is like uh you know woman inherits the earth um you know, it's, it's, it's just kind of like a joke in that moment, but then, like, later down the film, when she's talking to Hammond, and Hammond's like, I should be going into the shed instead of you, because I'm a man, and you're a woman, and she's got this great line, where she's, she says, we can discuss, um, sexism in survival situations when I get back, um, you know, and, and I, I I like that about the character, I think, uh, she's, she's, she's smart, obviously, you know, she's an intellectual, she's, um, tenacious as as jeff goldblum has that great line when she's got her arms in the dinosaur poop but she's a very physical actress as well and and uh you know she handles some of the stunt work in in the film very well um and she never loses an ounce of her femininity like she doesn't seem butch or anything like that like it's you know it's it's a it's a really solid performance i like her in this movie a lot
1: yeah uh, the scene the scene when um uh attenborough tries to you know He tries to, you know, the sexism and survival situations line. Yeah, she should have been like, you know, you're old, though.
0: (laughs) Yeah, she should have. You're so old (laughs) and you're
1: on a cane? You're British? You know you're going to get it. Yeah.
0: I like that she's a little strong-willed, you know, like the scene where he's eating ice cream and he still has this delusion that Jurassic Park can work. And uh, and she has to confront him and, and tell him, basically, that he's crazy. And that, you know, the idea that you could control this, situation is the illusion that you're talking about Uh, that's a really good scene i don't a lot of times i don't really like those slowdown scenes where they just kind of like need to give the audience a breather so they kind of put filler in there just to kind of give you a breath between exciting moments Uh, but in this particular scene i think Attenborough's really really good too and when he talks about the flea circus which was his like first attraction um like i i I think he's very charming in it. And I like you know, the idea that when, like, he's talking about how the uh, the audience members would actually say, like, that they could see the fleas, even okay. though everything was mechanical. Like, that it that it was all, like, that the idea of showmanship is to create, like, uh, create something that spurs the imagination, you know.
1: Yeah, I mean, when he comes down to it, isn't that, like, is that what filmmaking is? In general
0: yeah I, well I think I think you could look at this uh, I think in hindsight like I don't think maybe at the time but I think in hindsight you could look at this movie at you know and and compare it to the idea of ushering in you know a whole new wave of technology that was going to change movies forever the way that the technology of recreating dinosaurs was going to change the world of Jurassic Park um, you know uh, the 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 I I don't know how much you know about the making of Jurassic Park, but um,
1: you're going to talk about that. that we are extinct. Uh.
0: <laughs> well, that's the the original plan for Jurassic Park was obviously not to use computer graphics. Um, it was to do um, uh, digital compositing, uh, which would have been done by Industrial Light and Magic, and that would have been headed by Dennis Muren. Uh, and then, obviously, Stan Winston, who did some amazing work on the film with animatronic uh, dinosaurs, um, you know, was was involved for that. But Phil Tippett, who worked on you know the Star Wars movies and a bunch of other stuff in the eighties, uh, was going to use a technique called go motion, which was stop motion animation with like a um, with like a motion blur added to it to make it look more realistic. That was going to be used for all the full body shots and wide shots and Spielberg was never a hundred percent happy with the work that was being done, even though it was cutting edge. And at the time, the best that they could do. Um, and apparently through conversations with Dennis Muren, you know, Dennis Muren really kind of lobbied him to let them take a crack at doing some of the wide shots in full CG. And, uh, there was a there's a very famous like skeletal test with a T-Rex and with the Gallimimas that they were able to do that sold Spielberg on the idea. And the Tippett Studios ended up not doing any um stop motion for the movie, uh, although they stayed on as like uh like creature dinosaur. motion consultants. They're,
1: they're dinosaur wranglers or something. Yeah.
0: Probably- um but yeah, like so when they saw that that wireframe test. How
1: many people died because you couldn't wrangle your dinosaurs?
0: <laughs> so when when they when they sh- saw that original wireframe test, uh, Phil Tippett is the person who who originally said, you know, I I think I'm extinct, and then they worked that into the film with that famous line. Yeah. So I'm glad I got to tell that story. Thanks, Cesar. <laughs>
1: Well, I I was aware of it, but...
0: (laughs) (laughs) It sounded like it, but you're very generous to allow me to go forward and do that.
1: Yeah, my my ear is empty, though, so you need to fill it with stuff sometimes. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Alright, so let's talk about the set pieces in this. Because, uh, you know, um, obviously, you know, this this movie works best uh, when Spielberg is in, you know, adventure thriller mode. Um, and I think, you know, the T-Rex attack sequence and the Velociraptor, you know, sequence in the kitchen, uh, like, those those are the, the high points of the film as far as, like, the action is concerned. Um,
1: well, I got to say that the, um, uh, the climbing down the tree while the Jeep is falling down, yeah. uh, I would say that's probably one of the more exciting moments of the entire film for me. Uh, a lot of people don't talk about it that way because there's no dinosaurs in that scene. Right, right. But I think that that scene thrills me in a way that a lot of those other scenes don't thrill me because um, because it's it's done it's all physical, you know. The, all the other scenes use, uh, um, I guess you know, at least some CG like in the, in those moments. So I think years on looking at those scenes, the CG still looks pretty pretty great for the time. But like uh, you know, your eye is much more accustomed to spotting what's fake these days.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think the that that whole string of scenes—the T Rex breakout, uh, and then it cuts to like um, Nedry and the Dilophosaurus, and then it's the explorer falling down the tree, and then the T Rex chasing the jeep with the must go faster. Um, that that's probably the best stretch in the film. Yeah, uh, definitely. It's
1: a, it's a good run of like 30, 35 minutes or so.
0: Yeah, it, it, I mean, it's it, honestly, it's. Uh, the, the Nedry scene kind of gives you a breath because it's got a lot of comedy and stuff in it. Um, and then the, the tree scene, you've got the sort of quiet moment between Grant and Tim. And I, I like the, uh, uh, the confession that he threw up, um, and how Grant handles it. Um, you know, because he he's got to get him out of there, but that, that's a, like, that's a really nice little touch. I thought, um, that's a very adolescent concern, the idea of, you know, that what will people think of me, you know, because I threw up. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that's a, that's a cute little, like, like character thing that they kind of put on for Tim. Speaking of Tim, though, like, and I'm, I'm sure everyone in the universe has noticed this, but I always get a, a huge kick out of him being dressed like Grant. Like, I imagine that, like, Alan Grant has, like, a photo on the back of his book, where he's wearing a denim shirt and a bandana around his neck, and Tim was just like, "That's my that's my look. I'm going with that."
1: Uh, some kids, you know, dress up as cowboys or, or you know, uh, these days dress up as Iron Man or whatever. Dressing up like, on Grant,
0: You're like, yep, paleontologist. That's what I'm gonna be. Bam! Time to get a bandana.
1: Yeah, I mean he, uh, Danny Azarello, right? That's his name.
0: Joseph Mazello.
1: Joseph Mazzello.
0: Who am I thinking? As Danny (laughs) Azarella. Never mind. He was originally, uh, originally in the book, the boy character is the older one and the girl character is the younger one, but Spielberg had had his eye on Joseph Mazzello for a a while because Kubrick was using him to do tests for AI back then. Mm -hmm. And uh, so Spielberg wanted to work with Joseph Mazzello, so he actually had... um, the screenwriters swap the ages of them um so so, it, the, so that he could ages, use though, Jonah. I think that's
1: different so is he still like the i guess like uh the paleontology nerd in like the book uh
0: i no I think he was more of a sports uh like a sports guy like a jock and okay. the, the the girl was the one who uh who had the so scientific paleontology fixation and, and uh yeah.
1: Computer stuff. But,
0: but I think they handle Lex pretty well, though. Like, I, I like the idea that she's, um, she's a computer hacker. Um, she's a hacker. Yeah, well, she's a hacker, and, like, that seems a bit dated at this point. Like, you know, for, for I don't know, do people still use that as a terminology for? I, I don't know. That's
1: just The Matrix. Uh, <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, <I guess. laughs> It, it so that seems a little bit '90s to me, like which is fine, but um, but I I like the idea that they sort of like, uh, she she's almost got like a little crush on Alan Grant, I think, like just a yeah. little teeny bit, like it's not over the top, but like I think it's pretty obvious though, yeah, <laughs> yeah, but you know, like she wants to hold his hand and you know when when uh, I like the little scene where she says, um, they're they're getting into the explorers to take the tour. And obviously, you know, Tim is the one who's talking and Alan's like, I got to get rid of this kid. So he puts him in one car and then he turns around and Lex is there and she says uh, that Ellie told her that they should ride together because it would be good for Alan. Um, And like Lex's smile is like very much like, you know, I have a crush on you kind of a smile. And then they cut to Ellie who... Is obviously aware of this, and she gives like that kind of knowing smile as well, which is—it's a really nice moment.
1: Yeah, we said like she wants to, she wants to hold his hand. Like he tries to disengage himself from her, right? But like she won't, she won't let go.
0: <laughs> which is that's so like Spielberg works with kids about as well as anybody ever has, probably in cinema. And uh, and although I don't think. Uh, I don't think that there's anything extraordinary about their performances. Uh, they're both really good in the movie. And um, and I, I think especially in, like, the tensor scenes, I think he gets some really good performances out of, especially Mazzello. And, like, I believe that that kid is about to wet his pants half the time. <laughs> like, <I've
1: laughs> Well, he's got that kind of, like, wide, wide-eyed look uh, to him, too. Yeah. He's, like... Many times in this film, he's just very overwhelmed. I,
0: I like that. Uh, like after he gets electrocuted and they finally get back into safety, that uh, that the like the first thing they do is just like go to the buffet table and start eating. Yeah,
1: but like, the thing is, though, all that all they have at like that table, it's all sweets, though. So right. Not real food.
0: I love it. It's like a dessert buffet, it's like
1: Charlie Chocolate Factory. But
0: there. like they hadn't eaten anything in at least twenty four hours. So yeah, like, so let's, let's eat all this whipped cream. <laughs> right. But, th- like, their looks, like, the way they look at each other and smile, like, they are totally into it. Like, it's it's such a great kid moment. Like, they, they yeah, just, we're not supposed to be eating this stuff, but, yeah, we're doing it anyway.
1: Well, they're siblings, you know? They can communicate psychically sometimes, you yeah.
0: know? Um, so the, the, the T-Rex sequence, specifically, um, is maybe one of the great action set pieces of the last 20 years or 25 years now. Sorry. Yeah, that stretch.
1: Yeah.
0: I almost forgot what year we were in. Um, I, I mean, it's, it's incredibly well constructed and uh, like, I would be, I would be remiss if I did not mention.
1: Uh... <laughs> oh, <Uh-oh. laughs> something happened at a screening?
0: No, no, no. Um Okay if I don't mention this Chelsea will uh, like have a cow um, <laughs> that there's like a there's like a huge visual cheat in the scene because the the sheer drop that the t-rex pushes the Explorer over is never previously established in that scene and you see at the beginning of the scene the t-rex appears to break out of the paddock in like the same place where the the explorer goes over. So geographically, the scene doesn't make sense in that way because it looks like the T-Rex just kind of like walks over and jumps out and then they throw the car down and it goes down like 20 stories. So... <laughs> so uh, I I think it works perfectly well dramatically, though.
1: Yes, it's fine.
0: <laughs> so... I mean,
1: you know, there's freaking T-Rex in front of you.
0: Yeah. Well, and see, that that's... <laughs> even though they're using CGI creations in this movie, like we really hadn't hit like this ushered in the digital age, but they were not working in the digital age when they were like in production on this movie. So like that's something that you could probably fix pretty easily now because all the backgrounds and shit are all computer generated now too. You
1: could just mirror that scene.
0: Yeah. Uh, But like back then they shot it on a stage and then they shot the tree stuff on a different stage and, you know, like, and they're cutting that stuff together. So like, you know, it's, it's just a continuity error. It's not really like a, it's not like a huge deal. So yeah,
1: I think they should just fix it by turning a T-Rex into a giant walkie talkie. <laughs>
0: they, they should just, you know, say that the T-Rex can jump up 30 stories. Like, you know, like the velociraptors can jump. Yeah.
1: I think that'd be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> jumping
0: T Rexes <laughs> that have like superhuman powers.
1: Well, uh, you know, M- Marvel. Marvel's got a character, Devil Dinosaur.
0: Oh yeah. yeah oh it's god. A,
1: it's a giant red T Rex. Um, that I guess like it's a it's originally like a Jack Kirby char- uh, character, Moon Boy and Devil Dinosaur. Moon Boy's kind of like uh, this kind of ape creature. Um. <laughs> from the past and he rides a giant red dinosaur. Uh, but basically they have kind of like a link and they kind of save like his people from aggressive, like, uh, cavemen. Yeah. Actually currently today, um, and the current comic is, it's probably one of the best comics that Marvel's put out in years. It's, it's called moon girl and devil dinosaur with a young girl who's like a super genius in a Marvel universe. And she is now partnered with this devil dinosaur that's come to the future. Personally, I think that would make a, a great film. Um, you don't necessarily need to incorporate the MCU or anything, but I think it'd be easy to put something like that in with like a series like Big Hero Six, maybe.
0: Wow! Nice. That that's uh that's definitely out there. I,
1: I'd be remiss if I didn't if I didn't like <sighs> how good that thing is when I think of dinosaurs these days.
0: Yeah. Um. Uh, well, who who else is in the film? We haven't really talked about Jeff Goldblum yet. Yeah, we did. Well, I mean, we talked a little bit about him, but
1: like, what, do you have favorite scenes with him in this film?
0: I, You know, I read an interview recently um, with Jeff Goldblum, and he was asked what his favorite line of dialogue in any of his movies was, and his response was the laugh that he gives in the helicopter in Jurassic Park.
1: <laughs> that was really bad. AC does
0: it. AC does it well. Yeah, like I can't do it. Like, <laughs> um, but yeah, like I, th- I thought that was funny. Uh, Goldblum's great. I, I, you know, like I said, I, I think he is a a singular performer. There's not a single person that I can think of, maybe even in the history of Hollywood that is like Jeff Goldblum. He, he is just, he is one of a kind.
1: Yeah, you know, maybe we'll do. Uh, maybe my pick will be. Uh, for our next episode maybe we'll do some Buckaroo Banzai.
0: Ooh. Alright, well we could do that. Um I have that old I have the Blu-ray that came out last year, so I still haven't watched it yet. Yeah. yeah. Uh you know, I didn't write his name down, but the, the guy who plays Muldoon is good too. I like him. The Aussie dude, yeah. Yeah. They should all be destroyed. Utah! <laughs> it was this- that. That opening scene is classic Spielberg, uh, very much like um, like Jaws. Um, You know Spielberg, and I I think wisely because uh, Grant and Ellie are our POV characters in the film. So he he wisely holds off on showing us any actual dinosaurs until they arrive at Ilse Nublar. So like in the, in the opening scene when they ha- they have to have this terrifying Velociraptor attack. Uh, he does it in darkness. Uh, he does it with flashes of light. Um, it, it's, it's, uh, it's really, it's really great. Um, it's tense. Uh, you can see the fear on the, you know, the face of those workers as they're kind of like putting everything together, even before everything goes wrong. Like they know that this is super dangerous. Um, once the guy actually gets like grabbed by the raptor, uh, they do this great thing where they sort of like lift him up, uh, which is pretty terrifying. Like you know, it's 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 a monster movie opening, and uh, I think it's pretty effective.
1: Yeah, I think um, that scene. I think uh, the first time I watched, it, I still remember um, that scene, like kind of being like taken aback a bit um, yeah. when he when he goes up like eight feet in the air, right? And, like right up in an instant, like Ragdoll
0: yeah it's good um but yeah that that's that you know I, I i think there might be a shot of like the dinosaur's eye like through one of the things, right, but otherwise you don't see the dinosaur at all, but it's you know it's really effective yeah um so you know it reminds me it, of like it,
1: the reveal for the splendor as opposed for the horror
0: right so. absolutely yeah yeah that's it, uh, that that first shot of them. Um, when they're in the Jeep and Grant it's sees done. the Brachiosaurus for the first time, like his eyeballs, <laughs> like the look on his face is so great. Like his eyeballs go so wide and his eyebrow goes up and his glasses are crooked and he's like having trouble taking them off. And um, then the John well, I, Williams I like, score I kicks I like
1: when in. He sits up and pulls her glasses off. It's good. Uh.
0: Yeah, well, he turns her head. Yeah. Yeah,
1: it's a lot smoother. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's, I mean, I honestly, I think it's a necessary scene, but the scene that follows it where they sort of like go into the the main uh, building and like sit there for the ride and, and Mr. DNA comes out and all that stuff. It's kind of a cute scene, but that's not one of my favorite scenes in the movie.
1: <laughs> you know, one of my co-workers at the shop, uh, he, uh, he's he got a Mr. DNA tattoo.
0: Oh, Yeah thinking machine supercomputers, <laughs> supercomputers.
1: This one's for you in case you listen to this i don't know that you do though it's <laughs> waiting for you in case
0: <laughs> hello to everyone at collector's corner Yep. <laughs> um and i think the the raptor attack in the kitchen is a really good scene too
1: yeah um i think it's it's got um extremely tense moments um and i think the use of um uh, like puppetry, uh, coupled with the CG, like it melds really well into it. The close calls on it are quite good.
0: Yeah, I, I the the reflection is is a, a sort of a, a bit that's been used over and over and over again, but it's really well done. Um, and I particularly like the shot when the Raptors first come into the kitchen and uh one of them like kinda like uh takes a takes a snip at the other one. And it like Like, they really, like, one of the things in the documentary was that Spielberg did not want to shoot these uh, creatures like monsters. He wanted to portray them as just animals that were out of time. And, uh, you know, a great example of that is, obviously, the the Velociraptor at the time was not, that, that was not a dinosaur that existed. And after the movie came out, they actually found a dinosaur that was very similar yeah um, but they're small like uh, size. no, no they they found one that was that was a little bigger, but it was kind of the right size um but uh
1: well, real velociraptors are smaller though right
0: yeah, yeah,
1: but, but they're like, uh, okay, well, as soon as this movie comes out, they discover it, and you know we're wrong,
0: <laughs> yeah, but in their effects tests. Um, Phil Tippett included like snake tongues on the Raptors to kind of give them more of like a menacing, like creepy feeling. And, uh, they had a, a paleontologist expert, um, on the, on the movie. And he was like, there is no evidence to support that. That is not how they would be. And you, you know, like you guys should remove that. Uh, and I'm kind of glad they did because, um, I, I think, you know, the, the Raptors are like the, the T Rex has personality, but I think you can clearly see the characteristics of each personality in the Raptors better than any of the other dinosaurs. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, well, I mean, I think at the time too, that's that's probably intentional because at the time, everyone knows what a T Rex is. People know what T Rex is for like a hundred years before that. But but like a Velociraptor, I mean, the film itself was the first time I'd ever heard of such a creature. You know?
0: Yeah. Well, like in the movie, the, earlier in the movie, they kind of set it up and they talk about how smart the velociraptors are um, and that you can kind of see that they're working things out. That's easy to write into a script. It's kind of hard to make sure your special effect actually embodies that and they were able to accomplish it. Like the work that Stan Winston and uh, Industrial Light Magic and, and Tippett and Dennis Muir and all these guys did is just phenomenal. The idea that this movie's 25 years old and probably holds up as As well as a movie that came out five years ago, like is an is an amazing feat, and and that's you know accomplished by you know such a a wise mixture of practical effects with the new CGI technology. Um, I, it's you know I was I wouldn't say blown away because I knew it was I knew it was going to look good, but rewatching the movie, you know, like I kind of I'm looking for the seams you know, to see where the CGI would maybe not look as good. Uh, and I, I think generally speaking, it just, it really holds up well. Um,
1: talking about CG, uh, some CG that I thought didn't look as well, uh, was I guess during that opening, uh, I guess Jurassic Park splendor scene where you hear the main theme, uh, you get to see, uh, Brontosaurus or Brachiosaur, whoever those long necked ones used in the film. Um. Uh, you see them walking by, kind of like the lake, and it's kind of like this weird kind of Noah's Ark moment. Where yeah, you see a bunch of dinosaurs hanging around together. Um, I think that that scene with those long necked dinosaurs doesn't look as good. You can see a little bit of uh, you said like go motion blurring. Like there's maybe a little bit of us, uh, blur that goes around there that doesn't look as good. That doesn't hold up as well. Um,
0: yeah, I mean it's definitely early computer generation. So, but yeah. like yeah,
1: I, it's not up against something like black screen or anything. up against like daylight.
0: Yeah. Well, like, you know, the, the finale originally, the, the story was going to end with just them fight fighting off the velociraptors um, and then leaving the T-Rex never came back. And after seeing like the T-Rex scene, like cut together, Spielberg was adamant about the idea that the audience would, would go nuts if they didn't see the T-Rex again. So he wanted like a big heroic ending where the T-Rex would come in and like save them. And uh, so like they did not have, they shot that afterwards and they didn't use any um, practical dinosaurs. It's all 100% CGI and it still looks pretty good.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean the scene where like the T-Rex like grabs the one dinosaur and throws it into another uh fossil hanging fossil. I think that's pretty sick.
0: Yeah, well that that's a practical effect. They actually did the, the destruction of the fossil on set. Um, but the actual dinosaurs themselves are, are CGI in that scene. Yeah. So I mean it's yeah. I, I don't know. It's, it's really, really good.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean it's freaking Jurassic Park, I'm to say. You know, I don't love it as much as like Paul Dano and Swiss Army Man.
0: <laughs>
1: I do like I do like this movie a lot.
0: I still haven't seen Swiss Army, man. That's funny. Oh
1: yeah? Oh man, that's a that's a reference you're not gonna get until you see it. Yeah. Maybe that's over my Chelsea to tell you to watch it. I'm not a fan of the movie in general, but that's one of the things that sticks out to me.
0: Yeah. The
1: I, movie's only got two guys in it, and Paul Dano, his character really loves Jurassic
0: Park. Nice. Uh <laughs> I'll have to watch that, definitely. Um I thought it was interesting to kind of go back and take a look at the, like the box office of like this time period, like 1993 Jurassic Park obviously was the biggest thing in the universe. It made tons and tons of money. Um, But like the other movies in the top 10 included stuff like Mrs. Doubtfire, the fugitive, the firm sleepless in Seattle, indecent proposal, the the biggest, like, special effects blockbuster of the 90s before Jurassic Park was Terminator 2. The highest grossing movie in 1990 was Home Alone. The highest grossing movie in 92 was Aladdin. 94 was Forrest Gump. 95 was Toy Story. Not till 96, with Independence Day, that another, like, big special effects movie was the top grossing movie.
1: Now that's the name of the game.
0: Yeah. So, like, like... You can see, like, and I'm not going to go through and just name every hit movie of every year in the 90s, but you can track by looking through, like, Box Office Mojo or whatever, you know, and look at each year of the 90s, and you can see that by the end of the decade, you're getting a lot more of these, you know, quote-unquote, like, adventure tentpole, special effects-driven films. Um And, you know, it's interesting to kind of track that because we kind of think of the 80s as the birth of, like, the blockbuster movie. But, you know, I think even if you go back into the 80s, uh, aside from the Star Wars movies and, you know, like, the copycat chasers, you know, all the movies that came out, you know, that were space movies after that, there aren't a whole lot of, like, huge, like, special effects-driven movies in the late 80s. Like you, you get into the late eighties, early nineties and stuff like rain man is like a huge giant, like big box office draw that year, you know? Um, and so Jurassic Park and Terminator two, I, I would, I would put them together as sort of like, like game changing, like how Hollywood looked at, you know, box office and what they were, what they were going for, uh, changed like the business model started to change as a result of this movie i think much more so than jaws and star wars
1: it's really interesting to see how many like non-special effects films were in the or like you said the top top 10 were there yeah are there films like that that uh, any films you can think about that are kind of contemporary that don't have that kind of sci-fi bend or or a fantasy bend that like have kind of gross within the top 10 in the past few years
0: uh i don't know it's tough i mean there are some i like i'm i'm not gonna be able to pull them out like right off the top of my head though but you know ever since like like 2001 was like the big year right because that's like the first lord of the rings and the first harry potter both came out that year is that right
1: 2000
0: or 2000? 2000 or 2000. Uh, well, I, Harry Potter and the, the first Harry Potter was definitely 2001. Okay. Um, Lord of the Rings might have been after that. I can't remember.
1: No, uh, wait, Lord of the Rings was 2001, I think, because Return of the King won the Oscar for 2003, yeah.
0: Okay. So yeah, so like, you know, so y- you've got, you've got like the Star Wars prequels coming out, you've got Harry Potter, you've got Lord of the Rings, you know, like that that's that's when that's when it became overload. You know, and now now every year it's just like, you know, spectacle, spectacle, think, spectacle. I'm trying to think of a
1: movie that was like a high high grossing film that wasn't like spectacle. I d <laughs> I can't think of any.
0: Uh-huh. Well, I'm I'm sure our listeners can like, you know, tweet at us or or hit the Facebook message board and, and uh you know, throw a couple out there. But, like, I mean, I can think of hits. I can think of movies that became big hits that weren't spectacle-driven, like My Big Fat Greek Wedding, The Blair Witch Project, you know, stuff like that. Um, Yeah, I mean, just this year, uh, it has special effects in it, but it's not a special effects-driven movie. One of the highest-grossing movies of this year has been A Quiet Place. So there are exceptions, you know, each and every year. You know, like, 99... The year oh,
1: cut out from last year would be a good
0: example. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was thinking 99, the year Phantom Menace came out. You also had um, Austin Powers' The Spy Who Shagged Me and The Sixth Sense in the top five. What are
1: you, what are you talking about? Uh, Spy Who Shagged Me is a, is a time travel movie.
0: <laughs> yeah, but it's not driven by special effects. In, know, two, in see, 2000... That, so that movie... In 2000, you had Cast Away, uh, Meet the Parents, What Women Want.
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: So, but, I mean, you know, the last couple of years, it's just been, well, it's, everything in Hollywood now is driven by IPs and, you know, the exploitation of intellectual property. Uh, and And so, you know, it's all about franchise movie making. You know, just like we've talked about many times when we talk about Marvel movies and Star Wars, you know, it, it's uh, you you have to right now. Everybody's chasing the model that's almost like a TV model, where you have to watch every episode in order to get the whole picture. You know, you you got to make every movie in your franchise essential by kind of connecting them in some way. Um, so I, I I don't know. I I think we're we're losing the searching for Bobby Fisher's of the world. <laughs> Let's bring it all full circle. Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean the, you know the the past couple of years, I've heard over and over again like that the 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 biggest tragedy in Hollywood is like the death of like the thirty million dollar movie. That everything's got to be micro budgeted or massively budgeted. Uh, in order to get people into the theater to see it. Um, and then the stuff that used to be in the middle range is now going to television. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and I, I think that's not 100% true, but I, I think as a general statement, that probably is, is more true than not.
1: Yeah. So. That's a good point. Interesting.
0: Um, but anyway, you know, back to Jurassic Park. Um you have you, know uh, you have any final thoughts? You want to wrap this up?
1: Well, do you know what the budget is for uh, was for Jurassic Park?
0: I have no it, idea.
1: Has it been reported?
0: knows? Mm, I don't know.
1: What would have been a good budget for that? A big budget for that?
0: Well, you know what I thought was interesting because, like, hundred million? Uh, no, I don't think it, eighty million, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Maybe not even that. It might, it might have been a fifty, sixty million dollar movie. That I mean, nineteen ninety three. I I don't know.
1: I would say sixty five million because it was an adventure sixty five million years in the making.
0: Yeah,
1: so I'm just gonna go with that.
0: Okay. I because the first hundred million dollar budget was Titanic, wasn't it?
1: I don't I don't know.
0: That sounds right to me. I think that was the first movie where they spent a hundred million dollars on an actual production budget. Was Titanic it's ridiculous? Again, our listeners will probably like. They're like, "No, it was this movie." But
1: correct us. I'm cool. I'm cool. I'm with okay
0: you. with that too. Yeah, definitely. That's this
1: is one CJ doesn't correct to me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Got it. Uh, oh, I, anyway, going back to my thought, like I, I thought it was interesting that this film has fifty CGI shots, uh, which seem which it was a a gigantic undertaking at the time when you move further into the decade and get to like for example um the Phantom Menace had um well over a 100 like full CGI shots like not just you know pieces so like you know they they really they really pushed you know by the end of the 90s they had really pushed CGI like so far so fast and it really, since then, like, I don't think it's gotten that much better. Yeah, I think maybe some of it's become more invisible. You know, so they're like backgrounds so the and backgrounds. Yeah, yeah, and more. the removal of things and replacement, digital replacement, and and the idea of uh, I, I think the biggest thing since the '90s is the idea of character animation uh, and you know creating characters with CGI. Um, but motion I don't. Capture. Yeah, motion capture. But I, I don't. I don't necessarily think that that they've gotten a whole lot more photorealistic since the late '90s.
1: Yeah, I would agree with you. you know, Jurassic Park kind of hits that sweet spot of still believable, but like you know, believable fantasy.
0: Yeah. Well, Spielberg was making two movies that year because that that's also the same year that Schindler's List came out, and. Um, when he bought the rights, or when Universal bought the rights to Jurassic Park, he wanted to shoot Schindler's List first and then do Jurassic Park, and in order to buy the rights, they forced him to shoot Jurassic Park first. So when he finished shooting Jurassic Park, he worked with Michael Kahn, his uh, editor, and they locked the picture, and then he went off and made Schindler's List, and George Lucas oversaw post-production. That's uh, George Lucas gets a, a thank you in the credits, um, but yeah, he oversaw the um, the special effects and sound design and everything for, for the film.
1: That's right, all you Star Wars haters. You got George Lucas to thank for Jurassic Park.
0: <laughs> yep. Good old Uncle Georgie. So hey, is, is Jurassic Park a movie that people should go and revisit? Yeah, absolutely.
1: I think uh, for me, it taps taps into um, a bit of like child, childhood nostalgia, a little bit. I mean, I think uh, it's the type of movie I think a lot of people, uh, especially of like our generation, have attached like memories to uh, going to the theater. Uh, I you know I I still vividly remember where I sat in a the theater, and the theater was packed, and the audience reaction to a, a movie like this. Um, you know, I mean, I guarantee you this movie will be better than the new one, so.
0: (laughs) You know, I remember that, um.
1: I mean, I'll still watch the new one. I just want to watch Dinosaurs Eat People, and I'm sure this will have that,
0: so. (laughs) Definitely. Uh, I remember the Barbasol can being, like, the source of, like, a million conspiracy and sequel theories. Yeah. But in the movie, they clearly say that it only has 36 hours of coolant. So I don't know why that was such a big thing back then.
1: Because life finds a way? Yeah,
0: I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> I also like it's a nice touch that uh, Nedry has a picture of Oppenheimer uh, on his computer.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, to- I totally missed that.
0: It's in like six shots. It's like, it's like really like prominent in the frame a couple of times.
1: I don't know. I don't know if I like know what Oppenheimer looks like generally, just like myself. A
0: photograph. He's he's the older gentleman with the smoking the pipe in a photo that's taped onto the computer screen. You see it a lot in the scene after Nedry's gone, but when the Sam Jackson character is trying to like uh, access his computer before you get the ah uh, ah uh, ah, uh, you didn't say the magic word. Ah uh, ah uh, ah. Uh. Maybe they just should have used like.
1: Windows ninety
0: five. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh. Windows ninety five was after this movie. Here.
1: I thought this was. I thought this movie took place in the future. <laughs> <laughs> mm.
0: But yeah, you talked about this being a movie like that underscores the idea that like, know uh, yeah, it's sort of nature rising up against man. Uh, you know, I, li- I I I like that. But I also think that it sort of, like, uh, underlines the dangers of tampering with nature. You know, you got... uh, uh, Genetic engineering is something that I personally uh, am not... I don't know a whole lot about it, but conceptually, I, I am not in favor of it.
1: Okay, well, I mean, genetic engineering, though, is something that's been done for thousands of years, though. I mean, like, genetic engineering... You know, stuff like breeding is genetic engineering, like like with dogs or um, you know horses and stuff like that. Um, they're just not doing the like genetic manipulation, right? But I mean, like stuff like you know, I guess like making plants able to grow in like a certain era, but like crossbreeding to make them like hardier for like a different different like climate. I mean, that's genetic engineering. Like if you have a dog you know domesticated dog those are genetically engineered over thousands of years though but
0: yeah well that's true but i i'm i the the idea of of tampering with dna and like i'm not i don't know i'm not in favor of that
1: sure there's a difference though
0: keep it natural (laughs) keep Keep it vegan guys (laughs) keep it natural everybody and stay classy
1: san diego yeah (laughs)
0: We can go to San Diego when you come out here and you can literally walk down the street and say that.
1: If I walk down the street, I'll be talking about how hot, how goddamn hot it is.
0: Milk was a bad choice.
1: Alright, well, do you have any final thoughts, Matt? <laughs> I feel like once we, the, once we, uh, um, Evolve
0: into so anchorman quotes, it's probably time to end it. Probably yeah. so. Uh, I, you know, I mean, uh, I enjoyed rewatching it. Like I said, I rewatched it twice because the first time it just, I don't know, I don't know what was going on. Uh, but, you know, there's certainly a lot to appreciate in the film. Uh, it's a technological uh, landmark uh, that I think still holds up. Um, I think some of the set pieces are are among some of the best that Spielberg has ever done. Um, you know, I'm not. Uh, not a hundred percent crazy about the characters, but uh, there's definitely some good work done by the actors in there. Um, it, it's a it's a fun, you know, it's a fun, entertaining movie, uh, and uh, I you know I think uh, I think there's a good reason why it made so much money and a good reason why people you know still revisited it today.
1: I think I think that's a good way to end the uh, end
0: this recording then. <laughs> there you go. Uh, that's okay. A bit earlier so well we don't know what we're gonna do next week but we will uh we will have something for you next week but in the meantime where can people find you on the internet Cesar?
1: you can find me as always at film smash.com or on twitter at junior
0: and you can find me on twitter at setting the frame uh so thank you all for uh joining us and we will see you next time
1: yeah thanks everyone
0: Celluloid Jelly was recorded using Google Hangouts, mixed using Apple's GarageBand software, and hosted by Podbean. For any inquiries related to Celluloid Jelly, please email frame at gmail.com.